who brought her to my attention and the fact that she wrote this incredible book and that uh, children are having, these young ladies are having a good time reading it and they're learning so much from it. So now I understand through the newspaper that she's done mm -hmm. a mm -hmm. celebrity in that form. And, um, well, hopefully a, a helpful celebrity. Yeah, yeah. Yes. That sounds lovely and wonderful and anything that we can do to... Would you like to come in? Yeah. And you have to get to the very last page because there is, it is a little bit of a cliffhanger toward the very end. Yes. So tonight we're going to talk about really listening to your daughter. And uh, it is based upon the book, The Truth. I'm a girl, I'm smart, and I know everything. By me. Okay. And um, I do have a tiny piece of gum. Please forgive me. Otherwise, my voice, particularly without a microphone, will become, yeah. So it seems to make the difference. Mm -hmm. So the presentation topic is seven ways to really listen, hear, and behave as we help our daughters successfully cope with the coming-of-age issues as we had to at one point. I will tell you just very briefly, there's someone out there, I don't know if she's trying to come in. Okay. All right. A tiny bit about myself. Uh, I have a doctorate in education. I practice as a private psychologist in Long Branch. And uh, my card's up here if anyone wants it later. And um, I have been a school teacher. I have been a school psychologist for many, many years. I still have that license. But I um, was last in the school system a few years ago. And I've been focusing mostly on my private practice. Um, and I am a mother, and my kids are grown up. So I'm a grandmother, too. Thank you for coming here so we can discuss these really important issues. I would like to understand from you, before we start, um, what made you come out tonight? Any particular reason, other than getting out of the house, maybe, uh, in the topic, or things you hoped I would get to? Yes? I have a teenage daughter, and I'm, well, she's... 15, so I might be past what you're... No, no, I don't about, think you will be. I was just curious. I was looking for more ideas. I can get through it, okay? Well, the, yes. Granddaughters. You do? Yeah, do they happen to be adorable? And yes. Uh -huh. Yes. <laughs> okay, well, I think that both of those topics are on top, on, on target and topic. So I, I thank you for sharing your thoughts and I hope your expectations 
will be met with a reason in the presentation. And uh, if something comes up, we'll have question and answers for a while later. And if there's something even more private, I'll stay a few minutes. So over the years, I have developed a system in my private practice and, as, and also with teaching people that I really feel is successful as a process for children and adults to use when they're trying to develop their self-esteem and a positive self-image. This process I have called the seven gateways and oftentimes the seven gateways to happiness because obviously when we feel good about ourselves and we have a sense of well-being about who we are and what we can do with our lives, it leads to happiness. Now over time, our reactions become habitual, whether they're good reactions or bad reactions. So what I have tried to do with this system of the seven gateways is to help people learn how to deal with issues in a way, in, and life always presents us issues in a constructive manner rather than a de destructive manner. And of course, the more we practice the constructive manner, the more it's part of us and it's automatic when, you know, your 15-year-old says something that you might have exploded or your granddaughter surprises you with something you've got some automatic tools already working. We know, of course, that kids are learning and each life experience is a maturing opportunity for the kids. We're, we're uh, still maturing in our own ways, uh, but they're maturing even faster. So, as I, uh, now let me just stop right here. Any questions at this point? Okay, so as I said, I call my system the seven gateways, the seven gateways to happiness. I'm going to summarize them for, to, for you as I refer to them in my practice and teaching and workshops and so on. So life is complex and life can force our kids to mature even faster than they really want to or perhaps they even should. So this system has proven to be a good way to deal with some of those challenges. Now I'm briefly going to, tell, going to tell you about the seven gateways. There is no, oh, well no one is running for pencil and paper anyway, but there's no need to um, you know, try to write because you can get a copy of what I'm saying, uh, much more than what I'm saying, in terms of some case studies with adult women and things like that from my website. And um, the website is enchantedself.com. And uh, you can get, download it for free on the front page if you want to go back over uh, these seven gateways. The first gateway is the gateway of what we would call self-esteem. And that is the gateway in which we help our children to um, develop their talents, their interests, and their potential. Now, obviously, 
these gateways fit all ages. It's just that I am zoning in on children and young adolescents tonight, and particularly girls. So um, that's, you know, I, I may not always say women, etc., but it is for all of us. So the first gateway is around building self-esteem and talents, strengths, coping skills, and potential in our children. The second gateway is all around building a narrative for the child, helping the child build a narrative around her life so that she isn't feeling in isolation as sort of the, uh, um, the ugly duckling that somehow ended up in, in Mrs. Sparrow's uh, family or something, that she feels connected uh, with a sense of purpose and a sense of continuity even between generations that helps her feel placed in her identity. And even a sense of her ethnicity, a sense of who she is, who her family is. And it really makes no difference whether the child is adopted or, you know, uh, biological. These are all the same issues. And sometimes a family that accidentally comes together creates family, uh, a family sense of destiny, um, you know, even more successfully because they've worked at it a little bit. But it, it is very important, and it does help a girl feel a sense of well-being. The third gateway is the gateway around meeting our needs and education. If we don't help our kids get the right education and their skills are weak, they, they can't possibly have the success that they might have had the potential for. And certainly, you know, parents realize this, but we're going to examine it and see, again, a lot of its importance. And um, I don't know if you're uh, noticing it yet, but I will say that one of the things about the gateways is that even though I'm listing them as very separate gateways, they do blend together almost like a girl's braid or a um, coil or something that uh, goes round and round um, because you cannot have self-esteem if you don't feel like you belong and if you're not getting the proper education. You know, so you'll begin to see that even though I break them down separately, they all are interwoven in our, uh, what we need for good development of our kids. Now, the fourth gateway is the gateway of replenishment and what I loosely call happiness, states of well-being. Oftentimes, people don't realize that uh, girls need to replenish, and girls get tired and stressed and overload, overloaded, um, sometimes more than we can even imagine, because sometimes when we were girls, we had less pressure on us. 
So it's a very important gateway. They can run on empty and be as flooded with multitasking as we can be. So we have to look at this gateway uh, too. The fifth gateway is involved in socializing. And one could loosely feel, well, that's, you know, what girl doesn't know how to socialize? But a lot of girls don't. We wouldn't have any bullies that were girls if girls knew how to socialize. Many girls struggle with socializing, feeling either isolated or over, overwhelmed or having uh, more jealousy or an anxiety than they should because of certain problems in relate, relating and relationships that have not been attended to. So this is an important gateway to happiness for our girls that we need to look at, and we will. The sixth gateway to happiness for our girls and teens is uh, what I call mentoring and being mentored. And although education does cover a lot of it, this is more loose, like the sense um, that girls uh, and families get that we can help each other, that grandparents are very important and offer certain dimensions that parents can't, that kids often can teach us things that we have long forgotten or never knew, and that as, they, as we then grow up and become women, we're left with a sense within ourselves that we know how to reach out for support and how to recognize it and how to maybe give positive feedback so the other person gets something from giving us something. And we also know that we are the holders of wisdom and knowledge and we don't trivialize ourselves. So it, it happens to be emotionally a very important gateway. And the last gateway to happiness is tied into good deeds and um, helping others and um, being a, in a positive, giving to the world in positive ways. This gateway is very, very important because oftentimes kids can unintentionally uh, grow up sort of just as takers. And not only is that bad for society later on, but it's very bad for the mental health of a person because we need to be givers and we need to feel we're helping. Most of us, you know, with a rare, rare exception. Um, we feel good and the research documents that it's good for us that all our brain hormones and neurons do much better when we are considerate and we're kind and we help others and we do good deeds. And of course it's a win-win for everybody. Better planet, greener planet, you know, people who are older feel happy that other people are nice to them. You know, the whole thing, it circles round and round. So, any questions at this point before I go back over these gateways, um, building on them again? Okay. So now what I'm going to do, 
I'm going, for tonight's purposes, I'm going to use real-life situations. And the character in my newest book, The Truth, I'm a Girl, I'm Smart, and I Know Everything, The Girl, these are situations she is faced with, and ultimately, some of us may be dealing with right now. So I hope to explain even further how each of these gateways relate to you and your daughter as we go through the seven vignettes. So I'm going to read the first vignette to you, and then we'll go from there. This vignette ties into the first gateway to happiness. So it's helping your daughter develop her talents, strengths, interests, and potential. That's the title, the gateway. Here we go. The girl in the truth wants to take keyboard lessons very badly. Her parents inherited an old piano that needs tuning badly. The girl satisfies herself to some extent with her yearning to play the piano, but she's only able to make up tunes on the black keys, and she knows she's not really learning music, but it's somewhat satisfying. She's asked her parents a number of times <clears throat> if she can take lessons. Her mother always says, well, that's a nice idea, dear. Maybe next year. Her father always asks how much the lessons cost, and his face has a scowl. She knows that her mother isn't really answering, just sounding sincere, and her father is showing by his face that the money is the most important thing on his mind, not her wish to take lessons. So now let's discuss this for a little bit. What better ways could you suggest for the parents to handle helping their daughter express her interest, which is a potential talent, maybe Carnegie Hall in the future, we're not sure, but potentially, what better way could they help, uh, could they handle their daughter's um, expression of her interest in playing the piano? Let's, any ideas? Kids are welcome to share, too. And it teenagers. Is the money is a big deal. Yes, it is a big deal. How do you work with that? It's real. What if money is the major factor? What if you really do understand how much your kid wants to play the piano, but you're worried about the money? Can you think of any ways you might circumvent that or work with it? Yes. Wonderful. Maybe even the parents could go 50-50 with the kid, you know, yeah. something like that. Yes, thank you. Yes. You can save up for it. Yeah. The, the child. Or, the child or the parent. Yes. Yes. Well, if you have a daughter that's constantly um, 
wants to do everything, so you don't know whether to take this one seriously or not. Um, so then she feels hurt and wounded when you poo-poo her idea. But in reality, you're not poo-pooing it. You're just kind of um, tired of hearing, oh, I have to play soccer, or I want to play the guitar, or I want to swim, I want to, you know, so you just never well, know what, what's what. Right. And if they right. wounded, it, maybe it is something. I mean, what do you think? Are you listening to the question? Any ideas for this mom? It's a hard one, yes. Um, when you were saying about the, like, you couldn't, with the money, you couldn't share it. Mm -hmm. The daughter can save with the money. Okay. So you could put a, I think what you're saying is if she started to get a little pressure, you know, each thing you want to do, you will be required to pay a percentage or work it off in chores or whatever, she may quickly discard some of it. You know, because sure. we tend to do that now if we see we have to pay. You know, that's a good approach. Um, yes? Well, maybe, um, maybe she could drop one thing to do the piano, like she could stop doing um, soccer or something. Maybe the piano mm -hmm. instead. Yeah, have the child pick one. Right. Just right. Say, Let's see if you like this one. Parents, I see. Sometimes they don't know what they No, they don't. Like no. Um, they don't. And I know a lot of parents differ on this because I've been treating families for 25 years. Some families will let a child bow out of something during the year and others feel a tremendous sense of responsibility that they must push through the year. And that has all different that, you know, parameters behind which way you go with that. We can't even discuss all of them tonight, but um, I think if it fits the family, you can develop some parameters. Like, we, we pay for three activities a year. And that's it. You know, that's what the family can afford, or we pay for two. You want a third, you have to earn it. So that helps the child sort a little bit. Yes? Um, maybe the person, like, in any situation, wants to do the sport maybe because of fun doing mm -hmm. it. And, like, once they try it, they may not like it, but they'll do it anyway. Right. And then These are all things that if you can discuss as a family, like I, I really encourage family night discussions, like a Sunday night. If you could discuss these things and not feel afraid to say in front of your family, you know, I'm really enjoying soccer, but it's because Angela's in it. I don't know if I'll do it again if she's not in it. And feel you can say that and not have someone like, you know, what do we spend on all this stuff if it's just for Angela? You can go over to her house, you know. Um, it really helps you define yourself as you're growing. May I move on to the second gateway? Oh, well, oh yes. About, um, what happens if you don't acknowledge that? Oh, yes. Thank you. Yeah, okay. So, if... Yeah, but let me just summarize it. The consequences, the truth, so to speak, 
for the first gateway, the consequences for not honoring it are really pretty severe because then if kids are not sure what their talents are, they don't get the type of outside validation that they need to begin to form the real personality as they grow up. And they can even get disappointed because they don't really know what their potential is and they can start to be dismissive as they get older, they get to be a teenager, they kind of say, yeah, I don't like anything. You know, they just lose that sort of open excitement that they have when they're young. So um, it's not only important that parents find a way to um, help them have fun and experiences with their interests and their talents and their potential, but that the parents also um, recognize that um, they're part of the validation system that's really important. Because we don't know as much about ourselves when we're young. You know, we have an urge, we want to do something, we're excited, but we don't know if it's really one of our strengths the way we do a little more for sure as we get older. So that's the consequence. That's part, you know, that is the consequence. So now we're going to go on to the second vignette. And this vignette ties into helping your daughter have a positive identity within her family and her community. So let's listen to another vignette from the girl in the truth. I'm smart. Uh, I'm a girl. I'm smart. I know everything. The girl in the truth wants to know more about her family. She is close to her mother's sister, Aunt Belinda, and her grandmother, who she adores. But on her father's side, she only knows her father's cousin, George, who she doesn't like much at all mostly because he swears a lot. She wonders what her father's family is really like. Why doesn't he talk more about his childhood and his parents? Are there secrets? She feels happy to have a loving grandma and aunt, but she wants more. And her dad is talking about moving. Yikes. So if they move, she will lose her friends. This is not good. So the discussion is, how could her parents help her to feel better connected to her extended family? And how can they also reassure her about the family moving and how she will be able to fit into a new school or a new circle of friends? Anyone have any ideas? think you're on the right track. Maybe, maybe using mom as a little bit of a buffer if they're not at all sure how to proceed. Maybe she would give some guidance. And what about the anxiety around moving? Yes, I'm sorry.
talk about it, or if there's something going on, then we share it at a different time, like to ease it in, like when we're having cats or going to the beach. You mean with the dad? So rather than putting him on the spot, like more natural questioning? Wow, pre-psychologist in the making. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's good. And how about the anxiety around moving and new friends and stuff? Because that may be even something that you face or you know of people. Um, how do you help reassure around that? It's almost as if you have to wait until you get there and you just be able to ease into the social end of it by taking one day at a time and seeing how this little girl reacts to mm-hmm. her new uh, environment and her new schoolmates. I just think you just have to be positive in talking to her about Yes, you're going to do fine. You've done fine here. You've had many friends. It's the same thing. Kids are the same all over. Mm-hmm. Well, there are two things that actually I'm com- that come to my mind. Um, one is that her mother did promise to help her stay in touch with her old friends. Mm-hmm. See, it wasn't a big move. It was maybe 15 miles, something like that. But, of course, it creates a whole new community, a different town. And... Um, so that was helpful to the daughter. And the other thing that they um, did, um, and now I'm revealing secrets because actually this is in the second book. Um, in the second book, the move takes place, but one of the things the parents do is bring her to the new school to see it. So, you know, a lot of times these sorts of concrete things help, too. Yes? You can also get them introduced to new programs prior to the start of school or prior to the move. Um, and this way they can start integrating themselves into That's that right. community. Exactly. Very good idea. And if it's not the same program as in the fall, let's say families often try to move in June, there are summer programs and they'll still make friends. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, I'll share the uh, truth with you as far as the consequence if we don't work on this. Uh, If we don't work on helping our kids feel they belong. And that is that, you know how some people sometimes can develop a sense that they're an outsider and they're not really sort of part of whatever, the community, the church, uh, whatever it is, the retirement village, And that doesn't always mean it's in severe form, but it doesn't feel good. We all like to be really part of something. So the more our kids feel that they are part of the family and they're special and maybe they have the uh, pleasure of uh, parents and grandparents saying, you're just like Aunt Belinda and we love her and we love you and, you know, all these warm, cushy things and they feel that they belong in school, etc., the more secure they'll be as adults feeling not like an outsider, but feeling like an insider. And they'll be more productive because they won't be wasting mental time and energy 
in woe is me, you know? All those negative messages that we don't get rid of can fill us at times, and we're trying to move away from that. So we're going to leave the second gateway. We're going to go on to the third gateway. Helping our daughters get the education that uh, they need. This may sound obvious, but it's a good reminder that even on the basic level, the um, classroom dynamics that a kid is forced to be in can limit our child uh, from effectively learning or learning as much as she could. So here's the vignette that goes with a girl. The girl often feels that her teacher, Miss Shannon, ignores her. She knows that many times when she raises her hand, the teacher does not call on her. This really bothers her. She enjoys studying so many things, science, outer space, diseases, pets, butterflies, poisons. But Miss Shannon never makes her feel like she appreciates her input or her enthusiasm. And sometimes Miss Shannon yells really loud, and one time she embarrassed another student. That made the girl feel really upset. Discussion. How can her parents help her with the school issue? Could they do something at home about it or at school? Yes? So they, you, they would help her discuss it at home, and would that maybe make her feel a little more comfortable? And might they even come up with some suggestions as to how she could handle herself in class? Mm -hmm. Yes. Go ahead. Um, well, in the fifth grade, which is great, I It's a pretty miserable thing to go through, isn't it? Yeah. You do assume that your kid's out of line. Well, that teacher has authority. Well, the teacher certainly has authority because we've given it to them as part of our culture, and that's the way it is. But the teacher doesn't necessarily have a right to diminish a child, name call, criticize the child publicly, um, refer to his, her inadequacies, or many other strategic measures that sometimes teachers feel they're entitled to. And if you know that that's something that, you know, if your child can be explicit enough in what she shares that um, you're even suspicious that the, the teacher may not be using good teaching methods of giving feedback, is there anything you can do? 
I would go ahead and speak to the teacher. Mm -hmm. Because I feel that it's a serious subject and it's affecting my daughter. So mm -hmm. I would go ahead and speak to her in a constructive manner and not judgmental, but just mm -hmm. this is a problem with my daughter and is there something that we could do? So you would treat it pretty innocently by going right to the teacher, which I think under many circumstances is the best way to go. But, look, go ahead. No, I would say the same thing. I would, um, you know, schedule a meeting with the, the teacher and have a discussion. And if it did not, the situation did not alter, then I would go to the next level, like to the counselor, and if necessary, up to the principal, so that the child would feel comfortable in that environment. And I think the key is that the parent and the teacher have to develop this partnership early on in that relationship. Mm -hmm. And then they, you know, all very the doors good point. and the lines of communication are open. That's so There's always like that guided uh, defense when you're coming to someone and saying you're being extra critical toward my child. So to bridge that partnership, I think that's the challenge. Well, if you don't mind. Please. That's the grandson over there. But no, when my son was in school, uh, I always, because I did work, I always started out those parent-teacher meetings, my husband and I, letting the teacher know that we were sort of like in this together. And if there were any problems that they saw, my son knew that he had, you know, the door open on his side. So please call me at work or at home. So again, we could come to a meeting of the mind as to where the gaps were. And it worked famously. I mean, even when he was nearing the end of the high school, a lot of the kids at that last semester, they started to feel, you know, summer coming on and the end of that part of their lives. And the teacher took um, the opportunity to call the parents and said, well, you know, they're experiencing spring break a little too much right now. Let's sort of get them back on track. And that really helped. Because I said to my son, now you see, this teacher took that extra mile to help you. So how bad could she really be? You know? So again, it's not something, yeah, at least yeah. from my vantage point. Thank you. Yes. Um, I think in my, it, it, what I have experienced with my children is that the problem often manifests itself in some other way, where you really have to dig deep to find out wh why they're acting out and why they're being the way they're being. Because as you stated earlier, our culture has allowed teachers or whomever, any adult in a, in, a, um, in a role where a student is learning or a child is learning, um, to respect that adult. And, um, you know, oftentimes, I mean, what I have found is that the child almost feels that the teacher must be right because they're a teacher. So my issue is more how you deal then with once you figure out um, that it is something going on in school, say, or whatever the, the relationship may be, um, how you deal with it without hurting your child. Your, I mean, your child may say, please don't go to the teacher, please don't, please don't. You know, she'll just never call on me, or she'll call me another silly name, or whatever the examples are. So I think what I would need help with would be how to deal with that at home. Because oftentimes the, the child may be perfect almost in school, but then come home and have this, this well, other side. I um, would just add that uh, 
I, I think what you're saying, it can, there's a lot of work that can be done at home, even helping the child realize that the teacher may not be educated, may be educated in her subject, but may not be educated in social skills that are in a positive light, and that it's a limitation she's working with. It's sad, it's too bad, but we will meet other people like that in our lives, and, you know, I think I'm on the same track you are. But I would say, having been in the schools so many years and supervised teachers and you know, see so many of the dynamics. I think at this point in my life, I would encourage parents to be a little more courageous than they are. I think that parents should feel comfortable um, to chat with a principal verbatim with some uh, language that's been used by a teacher. And maybe to say, I'm not here, you know, I'm not trying to supervise or about, you know, I'm just reporting in um, quote unquote, uh, and um, I'm concerned because I negative language does do a lot of things to the way people feel about themselves. And I'm curious whether you do any workshops with the teachers around positive language and constructive language, and you know, again, innocently but clear. But do you ever worry that maybe there's also damage that can be done if you do explain those things to your child? And then they, in turn, say, oh, well, my parents think this teacher is, Well, you have to know the quality. You You need to know the quality of your own child and what they can handle. You may not be able to share at that level with a certain child. You may be able to find a library book about how we speak kindly and do it in a very indirect way. But, yeah, you have to evaluate your own kid and what they may not have the boundaries that you need. All right, so let's see what the truth is on this gateway. The truth is that it's both an emotional thing and an educational thing. The truth is emotionally that if um, kids are hindered in the way they produce uh, produce work in school and the way they feel about themselves in school, they won't grow up with the same potential being reached. Because when we feel bad inside, we don't develop, we don't have the same range of free emotion and energy to drive us as when we feel we're well received. So there is some restricting of their actual potential taking place when they are not handled graciously by their teachers. I'm not, I mean, teachers have to discipline. I'm not talking about that. Talking about the language and the effect of a bully statement from a teacher or put down from a teacher. Um, The other thing is that intellectually, when we're not encouraged, now the girl, in the truth, happens to have a lot of stamina, and she stayed strong anyway. But when we're not encouraged, we don't go as far, and we give up on stuff. You know, so if you're not encouraged, and maybe you're, you know, you like math tremendously, but now it got harder, and the teacher isn't recognizing you, and you have some questions. You're just going to fall behind. You may never catch up with something like mathematics. So it's, it's, a, it's really a critical gateway to stay on top of as a parent. Now, with your permission, 
we're going to go on to the fourth gateway. Helping our daughters not to go into overload and stay replenished and happy. So here is the vignette for the girl. The girl is often tired. She has a lot of activities. She's a Girl Scout. She finally starts to take violin lessons instead of piano lessons, which again is in the second book. Don't tell anybody. She has tons of homework. She's in the school orchestra. She does take ballet and tap. She has to babysit her brother. She has a lot of household chores, including folding clothes, dusting, helping cleaning up from dinner. She often can't sleep when her parents are arguing. Discussion. How can her parents listen to her concerns, which may be indirect, like you're saying, not come out really in the open, some of which are never voiced, such as they're fighting, and help her to get the rest and relaxation she truly needs? Yes? Very true. Yes. Yeah. Maybe at the family meeting, like you said, mm-hmm. she had a family meeting once a week. They could talk about something that she could give up. Oh, so that she's less tired. Yeah, for sure. That goes back to some of what you were saying, you know, with all the different interests and stuff. Yeah, because fatigue can be a good reason to legitimately maybe even bow out of something before the year is over. That's not like a lot of activities. <laughs> but I don't think that's, a, that's out of the range from what I understand. You know, I think now, you know, maybe more women have cleaning ladies. As a, you know, the, it slips and slides depending on the culture and the income. But plenty of people yeah, who are not you know, of modest means, the kids really are doing these chores, for sure. Do you think parents today push their kids to be in too many things? What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think they do. Okay, what do you do? You probably see a lot of kids coming through here. Yeah. I just see more personal friends, and I see Yes, absolutely. To be with himself and to just maybe do nothing. Or they always have to be doing something. The parents don't like to always have to be doing something. Mm -hmm. Awful lot of parents are comfortable to chill out with a bowl of popcorn or play solitaire on the computer or whatever it is that is. uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Right. But I, I guess I came up, you, you're, you're going to very wholesome, simple examples, and I'm sort of going to the corrupted examples of, you know, that we live in such a mechanized society, but we all still find our ways to try to chill out. Um, there's a lot in that vignette going, there's a lot going on in that vignette, that story of the girl. She's got a lot on her calendar, she's, the parents are stressed, or occasionally they're arguing, and mm-hmm. she's doing that. And she has her own issues that she's trying to juggle her prior schoolwork and her, all her activities. So I, I wouldn't even know what to handle first in that, you know, for the girl, too. Yeah. Because we're trying to help her not feel overloaded. And we're, and families, we're overloaded. Well, um, it might be helpful going back to the family meeting, particularly if there's, you know, something that becomes common, so again, you don't feel put on the spot, to ask everybody to share what makes them feel the most overloaded during the week. And it might turn out that, say, it's the violin lessons that she waited three years to take, they're just the killer, you know, and she wishes she had never started. Yes? Yeah, yeah, it's hard to even proportion things. Yes? I know that you add a lot of stuff to do, it can cost a lot of money. And like if you miss out something really important, like if there was like a show, like if you're doing a play, you can miss out on the play because you have another another thing where you have to like stay after and do stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so sometimes even your quality of life is affected. You can't do special things. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, and it's a lot on a, uh, you know, we have to remember that emotionally, you know the research shows that we don't really fully develop emotionally in all dimensions till close to 30. So these are very, these are stressful emotional decisions that often kids are still left with. It's hard enough uh, for us to make them as we get older. The consequences. The truth is the consequences on this gateway are pretty steep. Anxiety, perhaps the beginnings of depression, a person who forgets how to have fun, a kid with too many colds, a kid who complains of bad dreams, a kid who gets fed up and wants to quit, whether it's Girl Scout soccer, piano, whatever, um, whatever she can get her parents to listen to, maybe. Um, all these traits and reactions can start to develop if she isn't helped with her pacing around replenishment and fun. So it remains. I sometimes think of the seven ways like this, with the three on each side, and the one on the top, the pinnacle, is the replenishment gateway. Now, going on to the fifth gateway, 
helping our daughters be socially developed. Here's the girl's vignette. The girl wants to have lots of girlfriends and be popular, but she isn't. She does have some good friends, but sometimes she feels that her mom doesn't understand how important certain things are. She wants clothes just like the other girls, and she has to wear a lot of hand-me-downs from her cousin. She wants to have girls sleep over, but she is afraid that her parents might fight at night. She has a crush on Paul that is so real to her, but her mom just makes light of it. It isn't light to her. Paul means everything to her, and she's worried that he might not love her. And if they move, she will have to start all over again, and she's really worried about moving. So discussion. How can her parents, particularly her mom, listen to her real social needs? Again, some of which she's not going to dare to really say aloud. How old is she? Um, 10 to 11. The crush is in her mind. You know, if you read the book, you'll see. But it's real, very real to her. Yes? Chris, I was reading it, and we got to that part, because, like, Paul walked in, and she, like, she, like, she likes him. And this other girl, like, might like him, and she's worried about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. And she worries. And don't having all of us have things that we worry about that are tremendously real to us. And they may either disappear six months later or they never seem real when we you know, we tell a husband or a friend and it's like, What are you doing all this stuff in your head about? But if it's real, it's real. What about when you have your girls, um, you know, they they those they meet just with their girlfriends, not even like they have they have like major crushes on their girlfriends. Mm-hmm. They themselves with their girlfriend, and then there's a problem, and then the relationship falls apart, and that has to be dealt with. And then you know they just cycle through these friendships, and like how do you, how do you socially develop them when you know they're they're going through? I I don't even know because how do you go through these mini crises with the little friendships? I think, if you're asking me, mostly by having a sympathetic ear, reassuring them that perhaps you have had some of this if you had, or maybe you've known other people that have had. Um, I think our reassurance that it will pass, if we're not trivializing it, but just the reassurance that it's part of growing up, you know, is so reassuring when it comes from a loving parent. Really. Well, it's, it, I, I'm going to move along and tell you the truth on that one. The truth is that if we don't help our daughters socially, um, we can end up with kind of a loner um, who doesn't have good enough social skills um, and is not as resilient as she should be. Exactly what you're talking about. You know, we want the child to not only go through each little uh, social crisis, but come out a little bit stronger so that um, it isn't just like putting a bandage and new skin grows and it's over, but 
the person has better coping skills the next time something happens. Now, those women who don't develop adequate social skills, and I don't mean we have to be perfect, we all have limitations um, socially, but if we don't develop normal ones within the normal range, um, we can easily become depressive as adults because um, socializing for women is just about the most major way that we keep in good mental health. And even more so than whether we've married successfully or our career is working, for most women, it's the intimacy of sharing social behaviors with best girlfriends, feeling connected to family members, uh, or being involved in activities that do all the things um, neurologically and biochemically that keep us stable and feeling good, and even hugging, you know, having hugs, uh, having an animal that you pet more than two minutes a day. You know, we, are, we just need this constant give and take um, that is what we call social skills. So we have to make sure our kids get it. Okay, so the sixth gateway is mentoring and being a mentor. Back to the girl in the truth. The girl loves to think of herself as smart, just like Nancy Drew. But she's almost a teenager, and she is worried about how she keeps her grades up, how she can keep her grades up and still be a fun person. She sees older girls being silly, laughing hysterically, staying out late, talking a lot about boys, and not working as hard in school. This really worries her. Discussion. How can her parents help her stay a dedicated student, even with the peer pressure of being a teen? Um, who has the fifth? How can they help her do this so that she's not exhausted? Oh, you have a teenager, right? Yeah. So um, what are some ideas around this? Uh, particularly keeping up her intellectual hunger and passions. Yes. I can't be Miss Shannon. I have to call on her. Okay. So you help keep her on target. And if on top of it, the parents are really proud of the work, that would be good too, which I'm sure yours are, but sometimes parents aren't particularly proud. They just want it done, you know. Were you, you know, just, what else? All right, I'm going to move ahead so we have a few minutes for uh, chatting with all of them mixed together. So the truth on this gateway is that um, she, the girl may grow up not knowing when to seek help in terms of her development intellectually, academically, if she isn't given a good sense uh, by her parents and her family um, 
not only that she's smart and resilient, but um, how she can stay on top of her work academically as a teenager and still have fun and how the whole thing can fit together. She needs those cues from her family. And if she uh, doesn't get them and then she doesn't grow up sure of herself, she may not academically, uh, intellectually, um, or socially rise to who she really is by potential. Because we have to keep remembering that we do drop parts of us by the way, wayside, and we may, may never get them back if we're not helped to uh, own them, own, you know, own that sense that we're special and that we have wonderful talents and stuff. So, the last gateway, the seventh gateway, doing good deeds and taking positive action. Again, let's go back to the girl and the truth. The girl wants nothing more than to be a good person who does good deeds. That's why she wants to be like Nancy Drew and solve mysteries and help people. But sometimes she feels like there's just no way to be special in her world. She goes to school, she comes home. Her parents yell at her, her teacher ignores her. Her brother's a pest. How can she be really special and have an exciting life? Okay, let me get to the question. Um, how can her parents listen to her real concerns and find ways to make her feel involved so her life has like a pulse to it and feels special? Aside from giving her lessons, such as piano lessons that she desires, what else could they do to encourage her to feel that she is of service to others in a way that boosts her morale? And how can they be an example to her? Yes. You. Ideally, she, yes, she should be herself and kind of distance herself from some of the stuff that pulls her down. But what can the parents do to make sure to help her feel there's something alive and exciting going on besides the homework or even her lessons? What else can they offer? They can be the role models. They could go out and do and include children into mm -hmm. those activities, church or mm -hmm. whatever's going on in town where they're raising money for certain um, groups of people or whatever. So I think in that case, the parents are the role models. And, and it's just uh, something that's integrated through their lives and they, they go over and just do it. And, and the child sees it and enjoys it, and sees the yes. light that the parents are enjoying. That's my opinion. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. It could be simple activities, helping a neighbor. You see your mom, your dad do it, let me go help you, that kind of thing. Simple, everyday, mm -hmm. going to the grocery store, just being kind to someone as opposed to being grumpy all the time. Children see things, they want to be that way. So you're talking about really serving as role models 
which would include uh, language and behavior and all sorts of things that uh, make us feel better. And also service in and of itself, giving service. Um, and I think, um, I think that's very important. I think we have to realize how we all need to feel something's on our agenda that is just getting our pulse a little quicker, you know? Um, and sometimes we forget. We don't think that kids need it because they have all these automatic things, the school, the activities, summer vacation, but it may not include the energy that makes us feel special. So the consequence, the truth is that um, the in order to help our girls grow up feeling like they can always have a kind of blueprint for their lives that's full of energy and things to look forward to and feels good right in the present, um, they're, they're not going to thrive. We need to give them this. And if we give it this plus the service level, we're going to have a better place, a better world, a win-win for all of us, and that would be absolutely beautiful. So um, those are the seven gateways, and um, you know we kind of broke it down to talk about each one. Well, for the next um, 10 or 15 minutes, do you have any questions? Do you want to go back over a particular yet, or do you want to um, touch upon other things related to um, anything to do with helping our girls succeed and thrive, and, and ways to listen to them? What's your pleasure? About when they start kind of pulling away from you, but you think maybe they don't want to talk to you or anything, but they actually really do, but how do you kind of balance that? Well, I think um, one of the girls has suggested sort of talking casually, like in the car. <clears throat> That's a very good idea for this kind of thing, too. Sometimes the formal meetings in the dining room won't work. It's just, it has to be looser at that point. And um, also I find that when you share more of yourself, a lot of parents are so afraid to share what they went through. Because they think if the kid knows that, like, they hated homework and they got headaches, that then the kid will have something, you know, that they're going to either mimic the parent or they'll develop a neurosis because they've heard that the parent had something. But if the parent can also explain what helped them out of it, it really helps them. Because a lot of times kids are worried they're not going to get through things, that they're really not going to finish, they're going to be there forever kind of thing. So talking about yourself is really helpful. Yes? Would it be uh, a good idea to have a specific, what I used to call a date night? Um, it could be once a week, it could be every two weeks, where you and your child just go have lunch, go shopping, do whatever. And that's your time together in, you know, shoot the breeze, if you will. I think it's a wonderful idea. It's, and I mean, oh gosh. 
I have to just tell this one vignette. When I used to take my son out, and then um, we went to McDonald's one time, and, and um, he kno- he wouldn't go in with me this time. He said, here's what I want to eat, and you could you go in and get it, Mom? So, okay, I went in. I said, you don't want to eat inside? And, you know, okay. So I, I'm standing in line, I'm thinking, wow, this is different. And so I came back, and I said to him, you just sort of don't want to go to McDonald's anymore to sit with your mom, right? He said, yep. So it, it's very important to uh, take advantage of it while you can, and then that might fade, and you might do something else that works. Right. right. How, how old was he? Thirteen. Did you cry? No, I was kind of relieved. I didn't really like McDonald's that much anyway, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was sad about other things. Yeah. Yes. Oh, wait. I was going to say the Okay, but I don't think I got the exact point, so define, tell me again. Or maybe you can talk afterwards. Okay. <laughs> but, all right. Speaking on the earth. I know it was a good point. Maybe I was drifting, but um, what else? What else would you like to um, comment or ask me questions or? I guess uh, open dialogue good ear and listening and sympathetic, sympathetic ear. And, and um, right, and I think if you view listening as really listening to words, but you also view listening as the emotional thing, what you're sensing from your kid, and what, as you said, you know, maybe not what you're ever told, but you feel the strain, or you feel the excitement, or you feel the worry, to try to just be there. And even again, maybe say, you know, you look the way I used to look in the fifth grade. You've got this stressed face that I remember my mother commenting on when I was about 10 or 11. And now, you know, the kid might say, I do not. Okay. You know, not every comment is going to be a winner. But the, the child might even start to cry because you just triggered the entrance that she needed. I have a question. What if you've gone through that a hundred times and you're ready to pull your hair out? So you're so tired of saying all the right things. Is the child in trouble or not? I mean, it depends what, what the consequences are at the moment. If it's that you may not be in the loop, but the child is thriving, then you may just have to live with it. If the child is in trouble, then we have to look for other ways to see if we can find out what the problems are. Mm-hmm. 
a lot of teenage girls, you know, do distance themselves from their parents for a while emotionally. Usually best friends replace some of that. And you just, you know, you have to watch a lot of signals and try to have fun together still. A lot of families, like if you've developed um, maybe even something as simple as the family always goes away three nights a year um, to Cape May. You know, and you sort of bring them up knowing that even when they're teenagers, it's something we're always going to do. And then you have a way to get away with them and, you know, they relax and they share and they talk and it may not be the same frequency as when they were younger, but you've built in some stabilizers. You're welcome. Yes. Could you also tap into like godparents, aunts, um, that might be able to tap into what the issue is? Very know, important. As a kid, yes. Yes. A lot of times, uh, kids will tell their aunt or the grandparent things they're uncomfortable to say at home. Right. Um, I yes. have a child that well, there's two of them. They're sisters. And one was really outgoing, very expressive. The other was very introverted. And she really didn't find her voice until she was about 16 or 17. But the fact that she had somebody to talk to her, you know, a few times she did, it helped. Yeah. And she talks. <laughs> How old is she now? She's in her 20s now. Yeah. She's like yeah. late 20s. But it took yeah. her that long to find her voice, yeah. to be able to really just start sharing those yeah. Well, I want to um, thank you all, you know, for going with this this journey with me. Um, I think we're going to kind of conclude the formal part. I noticed there were some cookies that um, were presented here, and there might be some bottles of water, and I'll certainly be here a little while. And... Um, we're not, uh, we can't sell the book here because of the library rules, but I want to mention this one copy so somebody can take it out. And then the book is available on Amazon for every, anyone who goes onto Amazon at $7, um, sometimes even less if you're buying a couple of books. And um, if you would prefer to buy the book from me, you can take a card and call me at my office. That's not a problem. And the website. And um, take a free bookmark. Take a free sticker, um, which is like the button, but it's in a sticker form. And um, my business card. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you.